AIMA Conference 2020 will be held in Auckland, New Zealand on Saturday and Sunday, the 7th and 8th of March. This year's theme is an integrative approach to personal, patient and planetary well-being. For more information and to book your tickets, please go to aima.net.au. FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line from New Zealand is Dr. Robin Kelly, who's an Auckland family doctor, author and musician whose practice embraces Western, Eastern and modern mind-body philosophies of health. Two of his books, The Human Antenna and The Human Hologram, won Science Book of the Year at the USA Best Book Awards. He has a specific interest in complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Over the past three years, he has researched the health consequences of human exposure to radiofrequency radiation, RFR, and the current rollout of the next generation 5G. He's been interviewed many times on radio, both locally and internationally, about this issue, spoken at public forums, and communicated directly with leading scientists, politicians, and industry advocates. And I warmly welcome you to FX Medicine. How are you, Robin? Oh, Andrew, thank you very much for inviting me onto this wonderful forum. What got you concerned and interested in the health effects of radio waves in general, first off? Well, over, over the years, in the early 80s, when I went into general practice, one of the things I started to do was acupuncture. And there were, in those days, 400 doctors here who learnt acupuncture and practised acupuncture in their practice. It was... Um, and it was an amazing times in many ways. And so most of those doctors were using it for straightforward, what they'd say, straightforward things, tennis elbows and sore backs and mm-hmm. stiff necks and things. Yeah. I, I, like a small group, got an interest in the Chinese philosophy behind uh, acupuncture and sort of studied um, what was really energy medicine because their understanding is that we're fundamentally energy and information and secondary we are um, material, if you like. Yeah. So, so uh, and then I wasn't the only one. There were a group of five or six of us who, who um, couldn't leave our practices because we'd only just started them economically. We couldn't disappear to China for three months at a time. Right. Um, although some doctors had done that. We learned from those doctors, but we also invited uh, professors from around the world to come and, and talk to us on this. And then we adapted it really into what we felt was appropriate for the population that we were seeing. Um, and, and I developed quite a deep understanding of what, what I thought was a deep understanding of the, the philosophies behind um, acupuncture, you know, just like as above, so below. And um, and also when it, it, through that, developed my interest in holographic science and medicine, and in fact, more the more holistic view that we are uh, an integral part of the universe and not separated from. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, uh, I mean, so to cut a long story short, I, I discovered that people were incredibly, there was a great degree of sensitivity when I was giving them acupuncture, even just touching their skin, almost like a range of a thousand units, if whatever those units would be, particularly young people and particularly people who were traumatized but very sensitive um, and going through other, other issues as well. And, and just through practically uh, uh, engaging in acupuncture, you could do very, very gentle techniques and have quite, and that still, still happens, um, deep, deep responses in the body, nice responses often, good sleep, uh, mood, mood changes, uh, irritable bowel settling or whatever. And in fact, sometimes you really had to tune down to the energy of the person. So it was like the subtler the technique, the more profound it often was. And I suppose so that's, I developed my interest then into how sensitive the human body is. And also because really what you're doing with an acupuncture needle is you're introducing an antenna, hence my, which turns yeah. the body into yeah. an antenna. In other words, you're connecting that body with the environment. It's very important what the external environment is like, you know, how I behave if I'm relaxed, if I'm uh, not tense, if there's lovely music outside. Um, uh, Chinese would say you don't do acupuncture in a thunderstorm or in an electrical storm. 
Um, and it was my understanding that really we were helping to connect that person on a very basic level to sort of more universal forces, um, uh, the Schumann resonances, the natural resonances of the of the earth and and, and beyond. Um, and and in the deepest way. So so I came through that sort of uh, another understanding of the human body that I hadn't learnt at medical school. I'd learnt really that we were chemicals, just chemicals. Of course, we are chemicals, but you know the more basic, even more basic for the chemicals, the molecules, and the atoms, and the space between them. So uh, it was from that, and a lot of sort of I, I suppose practical. Um, understanding and feedback I was getting from patients that I developed this, um, uh, I suppose, th this passion that I have for, for integrating that into my medical practice. I'm still a medical doctor. I'm a GP. I work in the university. Um, I see no conflict about what I'm doing with the sensible prescribing of med medication. But I'd have to say, what since I've been doing this in my life, I've prescribed less and lower doses of, of medication, um, which would seem to be a good thing. <laughs> so I, I've come to this with that sort of understanding. And when, um, I suppose, in the last few years, uh, I, I have had people that have come to me who um, have been electro-hypersensitive. So I'm claiming that we're all electrical set electrically sensitive. We all respond, we're electrical beings and we respond um, to the vibes out, out there, whether emotional or, or man-made yeah. or both. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I have had people that are very sensitive who or, and uh, have come to me saying they're sensitive to, to, to Wi-Fi and mostly they've been shunned by, by medical practitioners. So um, I, I am listening to them, but also I I've often seen this in relation to other traumas, and that's not to say this isn't important. It's actually very important that we look at the whole person. But some people are incredibly sensitive, and children in particular. I could just touch an acupuncture point in young children or even draw on an acupuncture point, turn their attention to it, uh, and there will be a response. This is so we've totally underestimated how sensitive the human body is, and I suppose that was my entry point into my concern about um, what is happening into our environment. Right, uh, and over the last few years, yeah, it's a very long answer to a very simple question. Well, yeah, but some very interesting <laughs> points that you make, um, yeah. and I've got a few questions to go along <laughs> with that. So, the yeah. first one, like you, you mentioned things like you know results with IBS. Now, yeah. Could part of that, IBS being a very emotionally driven or triggered condition, yep. could that yep. be in part that their stress ores yes. have been lessened, i.e. they feel cared for, they feel like they're being heard about their condition where previously they weren't? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And, and so this is part of the therapeutic touch. Now, mm. I know personally acupuncture has relieved pain in me. Um, and is there any research on sham acupuncture mm. points? Like you were saying, drawing on a point. Is there drawing on off point and getting the same yes. result or different result? And yes, yes. things like people who um, come in with concerns about being sensitive to Wi-Fi, is there mm. any research on sham Wi-Fi? Is there anything like this to sort of um, to act well, as a control, if you like? There's no, there's precious little research on that side. I mean, you make a very interesting point about acupuncture as well. I mean, in general, uh, most of the people we're seeing have a sort of are more in fight and flight than they need to be. We yeah. need to be in fight or flight when we're crossing the road, looking around us, uh, being chased. Uh, and so, you know, maybe at the maximum for five for five percent of the day. Yeah. But in general, people's um, uh, bodies are in fight or flight, and that, of course, means parts of them are irritable, including you know the, the very dynamic bowel and bladders or whatever. So, in general, with with and I'll, I'll come to acupuncture, but I'll say why acupuncture alone isn't 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 so important as the actual the way we treat people. Um, uh, basically, people come, rush into a doctor's, <laughs> and this is in general for their 10 or quarter uh, uh, consult. Yeah. Uh, they feel anxious. They see a doctor who's rushed or yeah. working, you know, got an hour, is an hour behind. So they go into an atmosphere of tension and fight or flight. It takes them at least 20 minutes to unwind, basically. 
So the biggest the biggest change I did in my practice was to work at home and to extend my consultation hours to a minimum of half an hour. Right. Because there's actually no way that uh, that um, that fight or flight can't be that uh, we can't somehow. Um, address it without understanding that. Yeah. How we welcome the person, how we sit them down, how we listen with an open mind and an open heart um, is is 90% of everything, of all healing. Now, one of the things about acupuncture is that uh, in general, uh, it affects the autonomic nervous system. So those people who are in fight or flight go into a situation of parasympathetic overload. Their parasympathetic comes in, and it's an accepting mood in the body. It's a peaceful mood in the body. It's restful. Um, if they just lay down for half an hour and we soothe them with, with any any um, therapy or just talking to them, they would probably go into that state. Acupuncture just is very good at switching the body from that fight or flight to this other state. Now, that actually happens where if you put the pin. I mean, this is the whole point. When they're trying to assess acupuncture on a Western medical in a paradigm, they're saying, well, you know, you're saying that this acupuncture point here is important and this other one, uh, an inch away, two centimeters away, isn't important. We'll compare this one with that one. And what they find is, yes, you get some response from um, uh, when you don't for points outside the traditional um, Chinese understanding where the point should be. Right. That is because you're inducing this state, whatever you're doing, if you're doing it properly, into a peaceful state. Yeah. So it's like going fishing. Uh, you will still, even if you fish at the wrong time of the day, you put a line in, you may well catch a fish. Gotcha. <laughs> Right. You're in the right environment from that. So it's really been quite unfair on acupuncture because they've been trying to prove um, acupuncture against what they call sham acupuncture, um, which isn't sham if you're actually creating an environment for the person because the end result is right. that person is going to feel heard and in a state of peace. And what I do with my acupuncture is say, look, this is how you can get to the state of peace, and then they teach them how to do it themselves. Uh, in other words, through um, whatever... Uh, that interests them. You know, it may be Tai Chi yoga, it may be something creative, it may be painting, it may be dancing or whatever, anything that gets them into the moment away from fear. Um, and that's my, uh, so, so that's my role. And in fact, you can see then my interest had developed in complex post-traumatic stress, which is something we're all to a certain extent um, suffering from <laughs> in our lives. Uh, and means of getting people to understand how to create peace in their bodies. Um, that's my aim in everybody that comes to see me pretty well. So on with radio waves, I can still remember from primary school a concern. And there was a concern and then it was dissed. And then it came up again like five years later or so, a concern, and then it was mm. dismissed again. And yet I, I can still remember, let's say a decade ago, and a neurologist, I do believe at Royal Brisbane Hospital was saying he's never seen so many parietal tumours in, mm. in teenagers. Mm. Um, so whether it's going to be proven or not that there's radio waves, there's certainly mm. an issue. Mm. So the problem that I see is that it was merely dismissed rather mm. than going, well, there's something going on here. How about we find out what it is? And since then, you know, our exposure has been has increased exponentially yeah. really to... To the and you know when we talk about five G and I'll explain about that for yes. people who I'm sure a lot of people know about that. It's uh, remember that it's on top of uh, all the existing radio waves as well. There's an accumulative effect, a cumulative effect over the last thirty years that's increased. Um, also, we have to tie in the addiction that has been that is now created within um, society for um, handheld cell phones um, and Wi-Fi. Uh, and also the effect of that on people's behavior, on their relationships. Um, all of this is, it's, it's both complex, but it's also compounding um, exponentially. Uh, and we, uh, I suppose, a good physician should be ahead a of the game. Uh, when, when, say, over 30 years ago, the, 
statins, so the cholesterol statins were introduced, most good physicians would have picked up in the first week that people are complaining about aches and pain. Yeah. And it took sort of um, 20 or 30 years ago, years past that, for the authorities, uh, very much controlled by, by the pharmaceutical companies, uh, to admit it. So we're in a situation where I believe we're um, observing the canaries down the mine much before the vested interest um, uh, corporations and institutions who are making money out of this. We are the ones that I think have a, well, I believe, a moral and ethical responsibility to point out to people um, where this is going. Absolutely. So this is always a big issue with vested interest. And mm. we've got a draw here, as in the public wants this. The public mm. wants convenience. It's almost like how do you raise an issue against something that somebody actually wants? I mean, it's almost like addressing an opioid issue, really, isn't it? It's, it's exactly this, addressing the opioid issue or um, certainly in the 70s telling them a smoker that they were yeah, addict. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in the 80s, I mean, it wasn't until the early 90s that um, secondary smoke, um, environmental smoke from others, was proved to be um, dangerous. Had I been talking about this in the early 80s, I would have been told that I was a scaremonger. Right. And, um, and yet, it was pretty obvious when you saw families and kids with asthma and um, uh, uh, bronchial diseases to, mm. to, to say to the parents, no, don't smoke. <laughs> don't smoke in front of your kids and your babies. Mm. Um, and, and so what, what eventuates several years later uh, should be picked up by us because it's our job to actually intervene early, first do no harm, and to identify environmental um, issues. And I believe that's what's happening. And that's why there's this great schism between those of us who who have done the research. And I'd, I'd, I'd say that any doctor or health prof professional that looks at the research will say, whoa, you know, there's enough there for us to be incredibly cautious. Um, and with no vested interest at all. Their vested interest should only be in the person in front of you. Um, whether they're a child or a CEO of a tech company, I will say the same thing to them if I'm concerned about that. Right. Um, and, and the worrying thing is that I think this addiction, this dependence on, on technology, and, and I'd have to say I'm, I, I love technology. I, I, I love it. And I'm not, again, technology. I'm for safe technology. Yes. And I think it's up to these guys who are going to who are already making huge profits from it to put far more money into independent research, and it has to be totally interdependent. I think the onus should be on them to prove it's safe, not for me to prove it's unsafe or us to prove it's unsafe. Right. And and that's that's the issue I think with it. You can see I'm getting a bit emotional about this now because. Um, <laughs> but but you raise an interesting point. Let's talk about that mm. safety issue with 5G. Do the providers of 5G say that it's been proven? No, they say the, they say it hasn't been proven to be unsafe. So in other words, um, uh, there's been no studies done at all. I mean, there have been studies done that um, on certain wavelengths and, and um, by independent scientists, but there's actually no proof it's safe at all. There's absolutely no proof it's safe, and they haven't proved it's safe. And and so this is, again, what we see is once something is accepted, it's very hard to now then get it turned around. So is that how this machine works? I mean, if, if say, one in 10,000 people uh, develop a brain tumour um, from... from um, non-ionizing radiation and, and we're seeing that that one in 10,000 that means there'll be and, and they die and the 500 in New Zealand that would be 500 deaths um, a year 10 times the number of people who died at Christchurch in um, just doing the math on top of my head in Australia probably 3,000 they won't touch their profits right that's the bottom line <laughs> and they'll also be able to deny that that it was a, a correlated factor and there's this whole idea of correlation and causation. That's right. It wouldn't touch them at all. It wouldn't touch them at all. And and it would be like friendly fire as far as they're concerned. Um, and and it, this is the shocking thing that, that I've realized. Um, and I started this being talking to the CEOs of certain companies um, and, and the media and others um, in not really believing that this state of mind was out there. Uh, I had a horrible suspicion it was, but I didn't totally believe it. I've become to believe that um, such is the drive for um, 
money and power and control. Um, that is such the drive that they, the authorities would be comfortable to accept um, uh, people getting sick um, as long as it doesn't affect their profits. Right. <laughs> I can't think of any other way um, for my communications with them over the years that, that uh, any other... Um, logical explanation. But we've seen this previously with, with, for instance, I remember a case with um, cimetidine and a man using pesticides. He was basically turning himself into an insect, got multiple cancers, eventually died. And, and yeah. when he sued the company, the court awarded so many millions of dollars plus a million dollar punitive damages because they knew that this was an interaction with SIPE, with the SIPE mm. enzymes, and, and therefore there was an, an existing concern. Um, I guess we have to rely on what research is there of harm? Yeah. Well, the research of harm is, is of the existing radioways. And I think one thing that this has taught me in studying the 5G, where it's going into the unknown, as you know, the, the higher frequencies that actually carry a greater bandwidth of information per wave, if you like, and are pulsed in such a way um, that people, there will be no time lag and therefore you can create a virtual reality holographically through this system. Anyway, but what we've got, there's a huge amount of studies on what we're already exposed to, including a, a 25 million um, US dollar um, study, which, which I referred to um, by the National Toxicology Program in the States. And this is very, a very famous one, along with the National Institute of Environmental Health over there, which, which um, showed... Um, conclusively, that, that rats exposed to um, uh, the frequencies that we were exposed to with cell phones, uh, uh, male rats um, developed uh, a heart cancer, schwannomas, which, interesting enough, are, are related to the acoustic neuromas that we have. They're similar cell types. Right. Uh, um, and, and that was a, a very strong association. And that's just one, but we're talking about now thousands of studies that have come through. And the guidelines that the uh, uh, tech and the governments are relying on are 23 years old now uh, and relate to the heating effects of, of radio waves and not the non-thermal effects of non-ionizing radio waves. Right. And there's a plethora, a huge amount of information that's come, particularly in the last 15 years, um, hundreds of papers, in fact, thousands of papers, um, showing many different effects on on uh, human life uh, and and animal life and plant life, uh, and and uh, so we've got this huge uh, the governments relying on um, information they received before the massive increase of uh, radiation that we're exposed to now. And the government advisors here are, are the industry. So you've got the industry advising the government, which would be like the on the health effects, which would be like the, the, the uh, tobacco companies advising the government on the health effect of smoking. And, and we've got the government and the universities that are dependent oh, on technology. Uh, now, what happened several years ago is that we used to have universities and technical institutes. And I think for all the right reasons, that elitist reason, the technical institutes became universities and there was Unitech and there was all that. So the, most of the, the big universities are completely linked with the technological industry, um, both for funding and where their graduates are going to be going. Uh, so they're not independent anymore. Yeah. It's very rare to find an independent um, tech institute, nor, nor should they be, you should say. Yeah. So they're the last people that you should be asking about this. That's or right. should be advising the government, um, who are also dependent uh, on one of, one of the big uh, uses, I think, of 5G will be information gathering for the information gathering, data gathering about the human body, but about everything about us. So you can see how governments love the love idea yeah. that they can data gather every information about their their, their population. Gotcha. Um, so there's vested interest on many levels. Plus, within those groups, uh, I would say now a growing addiction to to the technology. Yeah. So we've got this 
the context of this isn't being grasped by by our authorities. Just looking, just unpacking the studies a little bit. You're saying clear evidence of these <clears throat> schwannomas. Um, mm -hmm. I find that really interesting that they're in the heart, not just um, mm. the ear sort of thing. Mm. Why the difference between male um, incidence of these cancers in male versus female rats? I think they just, they, they always divide rats into male and female rats. Um, and uh, I'm not sure about that. There's the, the certainly huge amount of many studies done on the fertility of both males and female um, animals. Mm. Um, and the fertility of and, and the mobility of their sperm. Uh, but also the most worrying thing is that, um, and I'm not sure which animals, but pregnant animals uh, who are carrying female fetuses, the follicles in the female fetuses are affected and eventually destroyed. So the evidence is coming through that the next generation, the generation, the generation yeah. that are coming up, say somebody, say, uh, a woman goes into this environment, this heavily irradiated environment in the early stages of pregnancy. Um, there's enough now to us to be concerned about the fertility of her uh, unborn right. child, female, in um, you know, 15, 30 years' time. Well, there's something um, that's never discussed in the, um, you know, the issues of fertility. No. And, and in most of these, it's taken many years for... Um, these environmental hazards to to actually manifest themselves in um, health issues, uh, even though. And I was looking at the whole asbestos story, which which asbestos came in at the end of the nineteenth century uh, as a fire protection, um, and of course possibly saved lives. Yeah. But alarm bells were sounded by concerned uh, physicians, nurses, and engineers. In 1898, <laughs> okay, right. it took it took a century uh, of many hundreds of thousands of deaths uh, before asbestosis was was accepted, and the same thing about smoking. It took um, you know 50 years before uh, it was understood the effects, and that is because um, many of these effects are slow growing. You can, uh, when it comes to cancers and tumors, uh, they may not develop overnight. It, they will in probably, and insects will be affected quite quickly. But in many, it may take um, a number of years and even generations. And what we're doing is being very selfish, both for our children and our unborn children, uh, unless we're incredibly cautious. So this is interesting where it's taken scores of decades for things like mm. asbestos and smoking. Mm. Um, and yet there was really good work done like on DES, diethylstelbestrol, and... Um, mm. And thalidomide. So these, you know, obviously they were given to thousands and thousands of women. Mm. And yet it took really smart doctors to unpack mm. the issues, the generational issues, and to ring the alarm bells. I wonder how hard it was for them. And do you mm. find that it's getting harder and harder for doctors to, un to ring these alarm bells, that they're just being pacified now? Well, I've been, I, I can't get on with my message to our um, so-called so state-run, but it's also commercially-run um, uh, TVNZ. And uh, I have sounded alarm bells. I've produced all the articles to counter their industry um, claims that it's safe um, and communicating with them all. And they all refuse to have any physician on at all, any doctor on at all talking about this. So we've got now a media who is totally involved in promoting this and, and the reasons behind this. Uh, and one, one of them became clear to me that the new, uh, reading an article last year and a uh, video presentation uh, by um, the CEO of uh, the New York Times, who was also in collaboration with the CEO of Verizon, um, the tech company over there. And their idea for the future of news is to use 5G to produce instant um, uh, holographic news. Uh, uh, in other words, create uh, a, a narrative, an instant narrative of what's going on around the world presented to, to the world. So they're seeing um, 5G as an integral step into um, expanding uh, their message to the world. And I can see 
what gets me really concerned is that the dishonesty that's happening at the moment is just going to be gives us a clue to the possible dishonesty that will be projected to yeah. us about what's happening in the world. So the media themselves have a vested interest uh, in five G and and the production of a virtual reality, um, which is going to be difficult to discriminate, especially for the younger folk, from the reality of this world, whether that's virtual or not. So, I mean, there's a huge issues, aren't they, I think? Yeah, and yet we haven't even unpacked the obvious, and that is, what exactly is 5G compared to 3 and 4G? Yeah, and 5G isn't a, it isn't, um, G doesn't sound for, or doesn't stand for gigabytes or gigahertz or whatever. It, it's just this fifth generation. So it's just the progression. And as they progress, they're adding in frequencies that are closer and closer to the uh, frequencies uh, that we see of light that, we, that we're that we aware of. Because we only see a very small part of the massive spectrum. electromagnetic yes. uh, spectrum. Mm. So it's getting closer and closer to the visual reality of which we see and therefore can be more and more manipulated. Um, and so I'd say, I wouldn't say every media outlet is is sort of evil wants to create this matrix but most of them will not want to be left behind you know so oh, yeah of course so, uh, so underlying it they are have instructions to their presenters not to go there with health effects because this is the first hurdle that they have to get over um into a much greater um bigger concern of um creating uh, ver- artificial intelligence virtual reality I know this takes us into a much bigger area, but that's what I'm realising. Yeah, but when you're talking about 5G, what mm. what spectrum of frequencies are we talking about? Okay, so we're really going into the um, gigahertz, but going into the sort of billion hertz uh, miles. So you're going from um, up to so between 1 and 300. We're adding that in to the existing low frequencies. And I have to stress that it's not just those. It's the fact they're adding on to others. So the fifth generation uses all those lower frequencies as well, uh, but in fact are adding in these other frequencies. And the thing about these um, short micro uh, waves is that they don't travel too far. So as they, because they're short waves, like mm. short wave mm. radio, mm. Um, citizen band radio <laughs> compared with long wave radio uh, that I remember well. Yes. Uh, so you have to have relay stations, you have to have antenna uh, and uh, cell towers uh, every, uh, well, close together. Um, some would say as close as 100 metres together, um, but also they are connected then to your um, smart meter, which then is connected to all your smart devices. So this is what they would say is the internet of all things. This is connecting all things together um, electrically to a point that, um, uh, yeah, so, so a point that, well, the idea is that it's going to make us uh, a more convenient, it's going to be a much more convenient world. And it'll also connect um, cars to to these antenna, therefore, um, and to other cars as well. So there'll be self-driving transport and therefore um, each of these relay stations will be on the LED lights that will be uh, that are being put up everywhere so we're being on top of everything else we're having these these high frequency waves which don't carry so far um, and they claim well that because they don't carry so far they only penetrate a small uh, they only penetrate the skin to a, to a lesser extent I'll come to that in a minute mm-hmm. Um so, so that's the next generation, um, and because they're the smaller, more frequent waves, they carry more information. Uh, there's a greater bandwidth, and what they call a, a negligible lag time. So, one of the issues about the previous generations with virtual reality goggles was that if you moved your head, you'd get seasick, right? Um, because of the lag in time, and this is actually the reason, the number one reason. Uh, they gave us at a um, symposium, 5G promoting symposium last year, to reduce the lag in virtual reality um, goggles. In other words, to bring virtual reality into our reality. 
Um, and and I suppose the concern is then um, for particularly those young people we call the digital natives who have grown up with this technology without um, putting it into context for the rest of the world, um, how blurred is their understanding of reality going to be? The reason I'm saying all this is this is why, quite apart from it being a multi-trillion dollar industry, why what we're up against, the drive that we're up against, uh, and the um, forced addiction that has been imposed on a whole generation, um, yeah. and why somebody of my vintage um, is in a situation where I think we need to speak up because we can see this in context. Uh, and that is that is my concern. My I have a huge concern about the direct effects of this radiology, ra- ra- so this, this these radiation on the body, um, uh, and as well. But I also see this as the first step into something even more bizarre and horrible and and pernicious. When you argue with advocates of the five G, four G, whatever, what do they say? What is their argument for? I try not to argue with them because it's been a waste of time. It, it'd be very similar to me um, arguing in the 70s with a smoker right. um, about smoking or um, an addict about – because there, there's an addiction there. So I appreciate that addiction. In my quest to appear on a television program, uh, I wrote to them and I wrote to the the advocate for 5G who is a, an industry person, who is the person talking about the health effects. And I said, look – uh, I got on quite well with him. I'd sort of communicated with him. And I said, how about me turning up and we should have a live debate about this? And all he said is, I, he, there's no reason. He just said, I don't think that's a good idea. That's what he said to me. <laughs> he didn't give me a good idea. So so they have no, there is no counter argument. Right. Um, the only counter argument is uh, it hasn't been proved to be unsafe. That's it. Uh, right. 5G. Um and the counter argument also that has been used is that uh, everybody who's against it is some sort of mindless conspiracy theorist. Mm, um, yeah. So they gaslight people. Yes, yes. Uh, and they, they give falsities, yeah. like, like non-ionizing radiation uh, isn't known to uh, have anything but um, heat effects. Uh, all of this is – none of none of what I've written or I, you know, in the journals or whatever – has in any way been been um, counter uh, uh, counteracted by by any um, so-called advocates. Um, their arguments are incredibly weak. Yeah. They really have no arguments apart from just promoting and promoting and promoting and propaganda. Yeah. That's what it is. I guess the only issue I've seen, I remember seeing a, a YouTube video of some mm. concerned citizen when a 5G tower went up and one side of a tree was, was deadened. And, yeah. he, and, and I remember him saying, this proves that, this, and I said, well, hang on, what about fungus? What about, you know, uh, other yeah. sort of organic damage or, you know, infestation to that tree? There's no control. And I can't see this as doing the yeah. argument against no, 5G no, any I, good. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that um, getting a good control of it, because we're all smothered with, with this ra- uh, radiation, um, it's, you pretty well can't get a population that um, isn't exposed. So you can't, it's, it's very, very, very yeah. difficult to get uh, controlled studies on humans. You can certainly do it on 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 rats, and there's a lot of stuff on, on flies, and um, mainly because they have, uh, yeah, reproduction cycles are so short. So right. you can see what happens in future generations. So well, what you've got to do, though, is to look at the whole, the whole gamut of, of, um, uh, of studies that have been done uh, well, actually, they've been done over 50 years, and you come to a conclusion uh, that we have to be very cautious. The precautionary principle says this. It says that even if you have a hint, even though it's not settled uh, scientifically, if you have a concern and it's a legitimate concern, we should be very cautious. And so the, so the fundamental philosophical difference is the, the precautionary principle, us saying, let's first do no harm. Right. Um, and that is our job to say that. I mean, it should be the job of all health professionals to say, let's let's do first do no harm. Mm. Uh, an ounce of prevention, as Benjamin Franklin said, is better than a pound of cure. Uh, that is our, our moral imperative, but it's also uh, 
makes common sense as well. It also makes mm. common sense that they're not health professionals. Mm. <laughs> so they don't have that edict to go well, by. No, they, they don't have that interest <laughs> in that person in front of them. No, that's right. You know? um, what do you think about the, the use of more and more common, the use of earpieces, airpieces, and indeed the sometimes extremely frustrating um, action of people holding the mobile phone mm. away from their mouth and talking loud on loudspeaker. Is it the device that's causing the issue to that person or is it indeed the towers and the density of the relay stations? I, th I think it's the close proximity of those um, devices is, is terribly important, probably the most important thing people can do. After all, you know, other than chopping down towers, that's probably the most important thing to do. Um, I don't think, and, and they certainly, you know, there are very good guidelines now about what you shouldn't do. You should, you should have it in airplane mode. They shouldn't be putting in your pocket or in your bra. Um, and uh, it's better to, to look, in some ways, to have earphones, although they're probably magnetically, they're not idea, uh, ideal. Right. So there are, there are definite, um, very sensible guidelines that a person can do with these, the, the, these. But, of course, if they're in a smart home and uh, surrounded by all this as well, um, how are you going to avoid all that? Yeah. Because each one of those, your fridge is, a, is an antenna for this. Not only that, you are an antenna because there's evidence come at the 300 gigahertz level that it, act, it, it read these, these um, waves resonate with your sweat glands, and particularly when they're sweating. So the more anxious you're getting, and this is done on humans, on, on, on students mm. in Israel, mm. uh, you become um, resonant. You can become an antenna for this, both outwardly to other people, but also inwardly to your own organs. Um, so uh, you can become that antenna as well. So as they increase, as they go nearer and nearer to the visible electromagnetic spectrum, we're going to get um, more and more problems from this. And there's no uh, moratorium on how, where to stop. That's the other thing. And people are rightly suspicious of saying, okay, and, and the proponents will say, okay, we're only into the sort of three and four gigahertz area. You don't, you worry about it. But there's actually no restriction on them increasing this um, closer and closer. And certainly if their intent is to produce uh, a virtual reality uh, for us, they will get closer and closer to this um, area. Uh, so, so. Wouldn't it be interesting to to see some research on, I'm, I'm not talking about failure of an implantable device like a defibrillator or anything like that or a pacemaker, but but wouldn't it be interesting to see if there was any interference of 5G yeah. Um, devices in proximity to um, these implantable devices and see if there was just an interference in the signalling. Yeah, and, and it's, see, those are studies that could be done absolutely um, and should be done by the by big tech, mm. really, shouldn't they? I mm. mean, but but also making sure that they're independent as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I th the precautionary principle which I'm talking about probably only needs ten even 10% or even 5% of the studies show potential harm. That's enough for the precautionary principle to come through. Yeah. The fact is that um, for many studies, we're talking about um, 60 to 75% of the studies showing effects on, the, on, um, on cells, on living cells, particularly how um, calcium is, is transported through the cell membrane, leading, and of course that leads to um, uh, oxidative stress, yeah. and, uh, reactive oxygen, and nitrate species in that, and that's very well established. I mean, that's that that's highly that's proved um, to transmit that information and animal information and plant information, insect information to uh, humans is is a step they won't go to, and they'll use that against these studies, saying, "Oh, that doesn't tell us what happens in humans." But when you see hundreds and in nay thousands of studies <laughs> that show the same thing. Um, then, then the precautionary principle has to come into point. I have to make one more point: is that in 2012, um, uh, the CIA uh, declassified um, hundreds of documents that came from Russia in the 70s, mm. uh, with this, with which actually showed that there had been thousands of studies showing how microwaves affect the body in a non-thermal way, non-ionizing, non-non-thermal way, um, and. The authorities have known this um, for, for well, since the 70s. So it's not just the information that's come through the West, uh, but from what's come through from what was behind the Iron Curtain in wow. those days. And the biggest 
And, and of course, you can see why the military-industrial complex is interested in this. Not so much, I don't believe, for weaponry, although that's a possibility, but it's for early detection. Because if you there's no time lag, you can detect. Right. Um, so you're ahead of the game, which could, you know, from their point of view, they'll say, that's great. We could avert a nuclear attack on this. I say that's good. That's a, but this, this is the, these are the paths that we're up against. We're up against the military-industrial complex. We're, we're up against the, the media. Um, the, there's a huge push for 5G and health, um, uh, health information gathering. Uh, and the governments, unfortunately, and I'm sad to say, seem to be the puppets <laughs> whose strings are being pulled by these uh, organisations internationally. What are the five biggest myths surrounding the environmental effects of these frequently bans, though? Okay, myth number one: only not non. Sorry, only ionising radiation is harmful. That's the those. That's the radiation that obviously um, affects the ionic structure of, of atoms. Uh, so the myth number one is only ionising radiation is harmful. I'm a trained um, uh, radiotherapist, so I sort of should know my stuff here. Uh, and that non-ionising radiation is safe. That was a myth they've, they've been putting out for a long time. Okay, myth number two, that the only harmful effect of non-ionising radiation, which is the sort of frequencies we're talking about, is heat. Uh, it is. They are used to in crowd dispersal, um, by the military and the and the police in the states, uh, and they've just dialed it down so you don't feel this. I think it's a shame we don't feel it in some ways because we get the hell out of it. Yes, it'd be myth a good number morning. three: hmm. the frequency and pulsations used in five G have been proven to be safe. They haven't. There's been no no um, health testing at all, safety testing. That's myth number three. I think we've covered that. Myth number four: those anti five G are simply anti tech luddites. Okay. And I keep saying, no, we are, we like technology. We see this. I see technology as going, if it's handled properly, being handled, going hand in hand with our, our conscious advance of humans. But it has to be done with common sense uh, and compassion and heart as well as head. Uh, and to which I put, say that wearing a seatbelt doesn't mean you're anti-car. Uh, wearing a, um, here we go, and this is very relevant um, to the Aussies, wearing a helmet doesn't mean you're anti-cricket. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, um, uh, or anti-riding a bike. <laughs> okay, so that's dispelling that that uh, anti-tech Luddite thing. Um, yeah, uh, myth number five, that 5G has undergone independent safety testing. It hasn't. Um, and myth number six, I've gone to six, the millimetre high frequency components of 5G are safe because they don't penetrate past the skin. We have to realise that I believe that the proponents of 5G think that our skin is like the wrapping around a computer. Um, they do not see the skin as an integral part of our body. It's almost like they see that's just the wrapping. Um, they are forgetting uh, the connection, the fact that we have blood going through our skin. We're, they, they're totally unaware of the skin microbiome. I could go on and on. Yeah, so um, we could use TENS machines with our um, implantable defibrillator yeah. device. Yeah. Not. And, you know, so that, not ever. Bizarre, isn't it? Um, and I've got a picture of someone. Um, oh, yes, that anti-5G is a Russian plot to hit the U.S. economy. That that was that was their big one, um, and basically, if you come up with this, they will mention tinfoil hacks within the first yes. sentence. Yeah, that means they really haven't thought about it, um, and conspiracy theory, and and it, it, even in the in the mainstream press, they usually have a photograph of somebody wearing a tinfoil hat, um, and that is the extent of their gaslighting and ignorance. I'm afraid, yeah. Um, so, okay, so lastly, what can we as health professionals and others do about the state of affairs? What do we need to action? Um, I, I'm going to follow what's happened in Cyprus where we're talking about health professionals and the government and the Ministry of Environment in Cyprus has pulled all Wi-Fi out of their children's hospital and are pulling it out of their uh, preschools and primary schools. And leading on from that, I think that this has got to come from us as human beings, as fathers, and, and particularly as mothers who are wanting to protect their children. I think that is the most powerful message that we can put over, that we are protecting the children and that we shouldn't be playing some ego games at the top level. Um, and so 
everybody has a voice. And I think um, anybody listening to this, um, certainly as, as a health professional, doctor, natural practitioner, you can do your best. But I think we our voice becomes more powerful when we talk as, as parents and grandparents and we talk to teachers and we um, talk common sense to, to the people in front of us. Um, so everybody has a role um, in raising concern. And I want them to have the confidence in raising that concern because what I'm trying to do is saying, look, I've looked at the science. I'm confident that I can talk about that. Um, you've got backup from us, all right? And it's not apparent um, possibly or what's coming through the media that there is this huge awareness of thousands of um, scientists and physicians around the world who are incredibly concerned about this. So you know, just spread the word, I think, um, and, and do the safety stuff. Keep away. Switch the Wi-Fi off at night. Um, if you can get Ethernet, it is quite expensive at the moment um, to convert your your house into that if you can. Yeah. Um, but keep talking about it because we're talking common sense. We're talking humanity. We're talking um, compassion. So I'd like to think that works. Let's hope. I think there's some practical steps that we can all take. Indeed, a very good friend who actually helps to run this podcast said, why don't we all create Faraday cages in our bedrooms? And the, the only thing of that is, and I, I, I get that, is, is actually are we going to block up the, the, the wonderful resonances that come from nature? Um, ah. and I, I, yeah, and so... Uh, I, one of the concerns, and I, you know, I know we're coming to an end, is is that we, if we're in relaxed in that beautiful state of peace and in nature, that's when ideas come to us. We are, we can tune into a far better bandwidth than this stuff by sitting on our own, and we, and we become more creative that way as well. So I think it's really about us making sure that we spend time in nature um, as well and um, develop peace and an understanding that um, this world is great. We don't need to muck it up too much and that we have to be very cautious before we do. Dr. Robin Kelly, thank you so much for taking us through the science and the issues presenting us with the next generation 5G and indeed other technologies. Um, and I also wish you well at the upcoming AIMA conference to be held in New Zealand in March. So thank you very much for joining us on FX Medicine today. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, everybody at FX. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. This podcast was brought to you by the Australasian Integrative Medicine Association, AMR.